Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Anthony, thank you very much indeed. Well, let me encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we continue in this little series in Luke chapter 10 that we started last week. Uh, something else you might like to do is to dig out um, the, uh, the outline of the talk, uh, which uh, hopefully you were given on the way in, uh, two-page uh, side of A5. And as you grab those things, let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that just as we saw last week, uh, looking at Luke chapter 10, your word is as relevant today as it ever was, and we do pray now as we turn to it afresh uh, this evening that you would speak to us very powerfully, helping us to know what it is to love our neighbour as ourselves, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I I continue to be um, thankful and indeed humbled by the way Uh, So many in the church family here are thoughtfully considering and responding to the refugee crisis. Um, At home, as a family, we've been thinking about how we should respond. We've been talking about the possibility of opening up our home to a family of asylum seekers or fostering a child who's been separated from family. As we sat around the dining room table on Monday talking about this, there was both kind of this willingness to do something as a family, and yet at the same time there was a fear Not just a fear of having people in our home who we don't know, there was something of that, but a fear of what impact it might have on our lives, how it might affect our comfort and our enjoyment of life. It seems, you see, that that is the kind of right thing to do. We might even say that God tells us to do it, but as we think about doing it, we fear that it might not be good for us. And so having Luke chapter 10 before us has been extremely helpful. 
Last week, when we began to look at this section that Anthony just read for us, we saw the, um, the matter at the heart of these verses is the, is the issue of enjoying a fulfilling life. Look again at the question in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, that this lawyer asks as he comes up to Jesus. Verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is not just a question of life beyond the grave, although it is that. This is the question that he's saying, how can I find a life that is satisfying and fulfilling? And you see, for that to be the case, for me to find what really life is all about, of course, it has to overcome death because death always comes in and ruins everything. So I'm looking for eternal life. I am looking for life beyond the grave, but I'm looking for life now, not just existing and in response to that question, Jesus asked the lawyer a question. The lawyer was an expert in the, what we call the Old Testament law, God's law in the Bible. And so Jesus asked this lawyer, verse 26, what is written in the law, in God's law? You tell me the answer to your own question. And the lawyer answered, verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself, You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. You will have life. That's right, said Jesus. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Love your neighbour as yourself and you'll find that deep, satisfying, fulfilling life that, frankly, we're all in search of. And that is not only how you find life now, but it's the essence of a fulfilling life that will never end. Now, that is a huge claim and a very big surprise. Uh, For many, the thought of following God is a sure way to ruin life, to make life boring and restricting, not the way to find life. So the first part of this answer is a surprise. We were looking at that last week. You'll find satisfaction in life by loving God with everything you have. That's a surprise. Uh, But look, the second command in verse 27 is an equally challenging thought. Do I really find fulfilment and satisfaction in life by giving myself to loving others? That is the very thing that troubled us as we sat around the dining room table this week, grappling with how we should respond to the refugee crisis. To open our homes seems to be the right thing to do. It seems to be kind and godly and gracious. But it doesn't seem as if it will be something that will actually bring us fulfilment and satisfaction in life. Indeed, quite the opposite. As we thought about it, we thought it would rob us of that kind of life. And the lawyer talking to Jesus clearly thought the same. The lawyer knew what God's word said. Jesus was very affirming of his answer, verse 28. You've answered correctly. But then when Jesus told him, verse 28, go and live it out... So, verse 29, the lawyer wanted to justify himself and he asked, and who is my neighbour? See, the lawyer didn't want to actually live out what he knew was in God's law. He wanted to justify himself, he wanted to excuse himself. Um, I was going to say he wanted to justify his actions. Rather, it was his inaction. He didn't want to do this. So he asked the question in verse 29, and who is my neighbour? See what he's thinking, if I can narrowly define who my neighbour is, it'll make this demand a lot easier. We might not ask exactly the same question, we might not ask who is my neighbour, but if we're honest, we try to do exactly the same thing as this man was trying to do that day. We try to find loopholes so that we don't have to live this out. 
I am brilliant at almost nothing in my life. But I am extremely resourceful when explaining why I don't need to help others. I'm brilliant at that. I reckon I'm not alone. I mean, some of you are brilliant at lots of things, but I reckon we're all pretty brilliant at that. We say things like charity begins at home, by which we usually mean charity ends at home, right at my home and no further. On the radio a couple of weeks ago, I heard someone arguing for us to close our borders to any more asylum seekers and refugees. And they used exactly that phrase. They said, before we start bringing more people into the country, we should remember that charity begins at home. To which somebody replied on the radio, so let me ask you, what have you done this week for the homeless and needy in your town? There was no reply. We say all sorts of things to justify our actions, or rather to justify our inaction towards those we don't want to help. That's how deceitful our hearts are. We are very much like this expert in God's law. We love studying the Bible, but we don't always want to do what it says. So how can we avoid using self-justification as a way of excusing ourselves from loving our neighbour, from living out what God's law says to us? Well, the first thing is to read the Bible properly and understand that uh, the first point on the handout, if you're following along and taking notes, love for God and neighbour is the fulfilment of the law. Or to put it another way, to love God and our neighbour summarises the whole of God's word. Now, you'll see if you've got a hand hand out in front of you that I put love for God in brackets. It's not that it's less important. It's just that last week we spent all our time thinking about that part of this two-part command. So this week I'm going to focus on loving our neighbour. But please, if you weren't here last week, uh, you need really to sort of go back and listen to last week um, so that you know that I'm not just talking about loving our neighbour. Now look, this little exchange between the lawyer and Jesus shows us that loving God and loving our neighbour is the fulfilment of the law. Again, Jesus asked the lawyer, verse 26, what is written in the law? The lawyer responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus replied, yep, that's right, you've answered correctly. So do you see the point? To love God and to love my neighbour is the fulfilling of the law. That is such a challenge. Our small groups have started, uh, restarted this week. 700 people we have in small groups across uh, this church. Uh, It's great that people want to meet in small groups to encourage one another and to study the Bible. But you see, in the light of these verses, as you meet together week by week through this term, if you don't go home wanting to love God and love others around you, you have misunderstood the Bible. That is what God's law demands. Isn't that very striking? It is so very easy for us to be just like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the very religious leaders that when we read the Bible we pour scorn on. It is very easy to be just like them. We love to study the Bible. Please, I'm not saying don't do that. But we love to study the Bible and then not actually live it out. And especially when it wrestles us out of our comfortable lifestyle. I'm told we have a reputation as a Bible teaching church. Maybe that's why new students have come. Good. Great. I hope we are teaching the Bible. Perish the thought that we'll stop doing that. But look, I'd prefer it if we had a reputation for being a loving church. 
a church which loves God and loves others. Because that is what is written in God's law. May it not be that we just become people who love hearing or studying the Bible but not doing it. Love for God and our neighbour is the fulfilment of the law. Secondly, to love my neighbour is good for me. We we sort of saw this last week as well. To love God is good for me. Now I'm seeing that to love my neighbour is good for me. I I reckon this is one of the things I really need to believe if I'm going to love my neighbour as myself. See, again, let me just take you back to Monday night in our home as we sat around the dining room table this week and thought about opening our home to refugees. While we thought that's exactly what God wanted us to do, we also thought this is going to make life less enjoyable. You see, that is completely the opposite of what is going on here. At thinking like that, we are actually seriously questioning the very character of God. He is a good God. He is for my good. But this week, as he's telling me to do something, I'm thinking that won't benefit me. No, God tells me to love my neighbour because it is good for me now. As I love my neighbour, it brings me life now. Loving my neighbour is the way to an abundant, fulfilling life, uh, the, the sort of life that I've been looking for all my life. That kind of real satisfaction deep down. You see, because verse 27 comes off the back of the question in verse 25. Verse 27 is how I find eternal life. Not, incidentally, how I think I'm saved, not how I get to heaven. That's through the death of the Lord Jesus. I'll come to that in a moment. But this is how I find life. To love the Lord my God and to love my neighbour is how I find that life that is what I'm really looking for. So to love my neighbour is good for me. That's why God tells me to love him and to love my neighbour. And I have to keep telling myself this because it completely cuts across the way that I think. And it is so different from the way the world around me thinks and all the stuff I'm hearing from the world all the time. The world around me is constantly telling me that the way to to a fulfilling life is to put myself first and above everyone else. And if I have to, to the detriment of everyone else. So listen to the adverts on the telly. L'Oreal tells you to pamper yourself with their beauty products because... You're worth it. Thompson Holidays, the number one tour operator in Britain, tells you to look after number one by letting number one look after you. And Booper tells you to take care of yourself by buying their health insurance because you're amazing. You hear it? You're worth it. You're number one. You're amazing. We love hearing that stuff. So pamper yourself. Give yourself as many exotic holidays as you can because you deserve it. But that isn't the way to enjoy life. That approach to life makes me more and more selfish. It's when I start to look out for others and live life for others and even love others in a way that really is sacrificial to me that I then find life is extraordinarily fulfilling. Look, we actually know this from our own experience. If only we will think about it. Think about Christmas. Do you like Christmas? Somebody said to me today, they're really looking forward to Christmas. I am too. I'm thinking of a lot of work as well for me, but anyway, I'm looking forward to it. When I was a kid, I used to love getting the biggest present. 
I get so excited when I look at the presents under the tree and the biggest one had my name on the label. Now look, I still love getting presents, but now the best thing about Christmas presents is giving them. It is far more satisfying to give a present and to see somebody else's response than to get one. I still want to get them, by the way. My children are here. Remember, still give them to me. Think about how gratifying it is to do a good, honest day's work. Sometimes at work, I find I don't get on with things and I kind of fritter the time away and it's never really satisfying at the end of the day. But when I work hard and I put myself out and and indeed put others first, my day is far more enjoyable. Think of your days off. Uh, When I use my day off selfishly, for me, it is nowhere near as satisfying and enjoyable as when I give my day for someone else, to help someone else, to help them move house or do some painting for them or whatever it is. The point is, when I've worked hard and given myself for others, often I climb into bed at the end of the day exhausted but satisfied. That's how God has set up the universe. God is a loving, giving God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are giving themselves for each other, to each other all the time. They love each other by mutually thinking of the other. And the character of God is at the heart of the universe and at the center of his word. So looking out for others, loving others, is the way the world works best. And it was the way that I was designed to work best. So if I give myself in love to others, I don't lose out. I find the life that I so crave. You see, we know it when we do it. I'm fulfilled and satisfied. So when God tells me to love my neighbor, he is telling me that for my good. It will be good for me. So third, at the bottom of the first page, to love my neighbor, I must know who my neighbor is. That's what the lawyer asked, verse 29, who is my neighbor? He was looking for a way out, but it's still a good question. And then Jesus told this famous parable in verses 30 to 35. He told the parable of the man who was walking along the road and who got beaten up and then various people came past, a priest, and he looked at him and went by on the other side and a Levite, another religious guy, came past and went past on the other side and then the Samaritan came. And we know what he did. The point of the parable is crystal clear. It's actually devastatingly clear. The lawyer got the point as well. Look at how it ends. Uh, Jesus asked in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Uh, It's very interesting seeing how the lawyer answered, the man who had mercy on him. The lawyer couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan because Samaritans were the enemy. The Jews of the time hated the Samaritans. So the lawyer couldn't even bring himself to say the name Samaritan. It kind of got stuck in his throat. So he said, well, the the one who showed him mercy. So when the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor, Jesus holds up the arch enemy as someone who demonstrated neighbor love. I am to love even my greatest enemy with this kind of practical, self-sacrificing, hands-on acts of love and compassion. And of course, if we're to love even our enemy, if even our enemy is our neighbour, then everyone between our worst enemy and our closest friends are our neighbours. So when the lawyer asks, who is my neighbour? Who am I to love? Through this parable, Jesus teaches love anyone. Of course, as soon as I ask this, it'll raise the question, does this mean I have to love everyone? Well, clearly, we can't love 
everyone like this. There are more than 7 billion people on the planet. In this age of global news and connectedness, we are more aware now than at any other time in the history of the human race of the extent of the need in this world. Never mind just the current crisis, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are extreme need and urgent need. We clearly can't love everybody like this. And this isn't just an excuse in a way of justifying our inaction we just can't do it i'm only infinite i'm sorry i'm only finite (laughs) oops we'll scrub that from the tape before it goes uh, global i'm only finite i only have the resources uh, to love a few i can't love everyone so we can't love everybody but we should love anybody anybody who we come across who is in need that's what we see in this parable verse 30 a man was beaten up and then verses 31 to 33 various people came across his path a priest a levite and a samaritan but only the samaritan helped him the parable is about helping those we come into contact with theologians talk about the principle of moral proximity now i'd never heard of this until this week but i've got some very bright colleagues who pointed me towards this and i've done a bit of reading in the last few days and kevin de young has written a very helpful article on this very thing this principle of moral proximity and uh, i put uh, the link uh, to his blog on the handout there And in his blog, he writes these words. You'll see the quote uh, on the bottom of page one there. The closer the moral proximity of the poor, the greater the moral obligation to help. Moral proximity does not refer to geography, though that can be part of the equation. Moral proximity refers to how connected we are to someone by virtue of familiarity, kinship, space or time. I do commend the whole article to you. The point is this, because I can't love everyone I need, in need, because I'm finite and have finite resources, that doesn't excuse me from loving everyone I can. And I should start with those who are geographically and socially within my circle of life. So the Bible is very clear that if I don't care for my elderly parents, I've denied the faith. I have a responsibility to lovingly care for my family and friends and church family and widows and orphans in the church family and and those in the community that I come across who are in need. And I think we see this principle of moral proximity being worked out in our response to the refugee crisis. So we've talked to Sheffield City Council about making our homes available to refugees and they have said that there are many asylum seekers and refugees in the city right now who need homes even before any of the refugees we see on our television sets start to arrive and they say, so we need to help them. Well, that's right, isn't it? We should help them. Those are in the city now who need help. Many of them won't be Syrian or caught up in the current crisis at all, but they're needy. And of course, as we help them, we will be helping those who are caught up in the current crisis uh, by relieving pressures on local authorities and making room for more to come. So who is my neighbour? Everyone. So be ready to love anyone. Fourth and over the page, love for my neighbour is sacrificial. This is such a familiar parable. Uh, I must have read it many times. I'm sure you have as well. But as I've reread it this week in preparation for today, and once I stopped trying to justify the reasons why I don't actually have to live this out, 
I found the actions of the Samaritan really helpful to show me what it looks like to love others. Look first there in verse 33, there was pity. Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. I reckon it's that deep feeling of pity for others that has kind of grabbed our hearts as we've seen the plight of thousands of refugees on our television sets. And it seems to me when we feel pity, we need to hang on to that feeling. Because it is very easy to dampen it down, to put out the burning flames of pity with the cold water of self-justification and judgmentalism. See, pity grabs my heart and then I quickly think of all the reasons why I couldn't possibly help these people and I certainly don't think they're deserving of it so I won't help them. But the Samaritan didn't do that. He took pity on the man and you'll see in verse 37 he showed him mercy just as God showed us mercy in the gospel, even though we're not deserving of his mercy and grace. So it begins with feeling pity and showing mercy. But then see what genuine love looks like. The Samaritan got his hands dirty, verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. He rolled up his sleeves and got involved, bandaged his wounds. He didn't just write out a check to get someone else to do the work. And what he did was dangerous. This poor man had just been beaten up on that very road, so the moment the Samaritan stopped to help him, he ran the risk of being beaten up too. Then verse 34, the Samaritan put the man on his own donkey, meaning he would have had to have walked the rest of the journey, I presume. And I dare say this was hugely inconvenient. As verse 34, he took the man to an inn. I don't suppose he was going to an inn anyway. He's probably going off to some business meeting or going to meet his girlfriend or something. Suddenly he has to change his plans. And then he went the extra mile, verse 34. He took care of him even when he got to the inn. Again, he didn't just whip his credit card out and go on his way. That said, he did get the credit card out, verse 35. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. And even after he'd done all that, it wasn't the end of it. He goes way beyond the call of duty. He gave two silver coins, and then second half of verse 35, he said to the innkeeper, look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. When I return... He's going to go back to see how the man is and he's going to give him more time and any more money. It's remarkable, isn't it? I've never really read the story like this. He had pity on him. He showed him mercy. He got his hands dirty. He put himself in danger. He sacrificed his own comfort. He inconvenienced himself. He went the extra mile. He gave financially and then he went beyond the call of duty. And verse 37, Jesus said, go and do likewise. And, of course, there's not a hint of hypocrisy when Jesus said that. Because that is exactly what Jesus did for us. Leaving all the splendour of heaven, he came to this dying world and lived a life of inconvenient poverty. He gave himself. He put himself in danger. He died on a cross for people who deserve none of it. He had every excuse not to do that. He went way beyond anything that we deserve. Because he loves you. 
Love for my neighbour is sacrificial. Fifth, love for my neighbour. Love my neighbour as I would myself. See, that's what God's law teaches in verse 25. Not just love your neighbour, but love your neighbour as yourself. How do you love yourself? We all have a desire to be safe and well and happy and content. Those are not bad desires. Of course you want to be happy and content and look after yourself. So love your neighbour as yourself. You want those things for yourself, want them for the other. So as I look at the plight of others, a great question to ask is, what would I want if I were in their shoes? That's what I've been asking as I've seen the refugee crisis. This was the big point that we made when we were talking around the, um, the dining room table on Monday evening. If I were driven out of a war-torn situation where my home was destroyed, where there was no running water, where I was threatened with death every day, if I were homeless, I'd want somebody to take me in. Love your neighbour as yourself. And if I died and my children were left homeless and without their mum and dad, I would want someone to have pity on them and give them a secure and safe home. Love your neighbour as yourself. Now, I note the word as, love your neighbour as yourself. See what John Piper writes. Love your neighbour as yourself, that's a big word, as, says Piper. It means if you are energetic in pursuing your own happiness, be energetic in pursuing the happiness of your neighbour. If you are creative in pursuing your own happiness, be creative in pursuing the happiness of your neighbour. If you are persevering in pursuing your own happiness, then persevere in pursuing the happiness of your neighbour. That's a very big word, the word as, isn't it? Love my neighbour as I would myself, and finally love my neighbour. That all flows from love for God. Oh, we've looked at these two things, love God and love neighbour, separately over the past two weeks, but these two things in verse 37 go together. We mustn't separate them, really. You see, I will never be free to love my neighbour like this until I love my God with everything. The thing we were looking at last week. Once I find that the Lord God is the place where I find fulfilment and satisfaction, once I know that he really is what life is about, as I throw my everything into him, then I can love others like this. For then if... I have money, I will give money to help others because money is not the thing anymore. God is my thing. He's the one who I'm looking to for fulfillment. Money isn't that anymore, so I can give money. And you can repeat that with everything in this world. If I will hold loosely to all the things of this world because they're not where I find life, because God is where I find life, then I will be able to give anything else to help others I won't be holding on to it so tightly because it's not the thing. All those other things aren't important to me anymore when I love God and find fulfilment in him. Of course, as I love God and discover more and more what he is like, I I want to be like him as well. And because he is the one who loves others, I want to love others as well. That is what we see at the cross as we take bread and wine in just a moment the cross will give us everything we need to respond as we should this evening since we've considered these verses this evening and as we considered last week 
we'll have felt that we failed, just as we said last week, we failed to, live, uh, to love God with everything. So we know we failed to love our neighbour as ourselves. So as we take communion in just a moment, we should remember that at the cross there is complete forgiveness. This is not about somehow earning my way to heaven. I, I get right with God through the cross and if you feel you've failed, yes, you have, so have I, and let's come and enjoy the forgiveness that we get tonight at the cross. And as I reflect on the fact that I don't love God as I should and I don't love my neighbour as I should, so as I look at the cross, I see how much God loves me, even though I don't deserve it. And that will motivate me to love him more. And as I see how much he loves the world, enough to send his son to die, I'll not only want to love him, but I want to love others the way that he loves others too. This is everything we need to motivate us and to make us love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength and with all our mind and to love our neighbour as ourselves.